Tavern Squad is a tabletop RPG podcast that features adult themes and language. Listener discretion is advised. Hello and welcome to the Tavern. I'm your dungeon master, your innkeeper, and your host, Connor. Here to pour you the next pint of our program. This is episode 22 of our main Dungeons & Dragons 5th edition homebrew campaign titled The Land of Corruption. Thanks for joining us for another episode. As we draw nearer to the end of the season, our episodes are clocking in around an hour and seven minutes each. So due to the long episodes, we will unfortunately forego reading reviews for the remainder of the season. However, we do have some housekeeping items at the end of the show, so stick around after the main program. Enjoy. Previously on Tavern Squad. The Congressional Tent was erected, and Calvin Dudrin, Mayor of Veramok, Ago, Chieftain of the Gold Tribe, and Jeff Benson of Benson Delvite, Influential Industrial Tycoon, all met at the Canal Dig Site to parlay after the death of Wago. Ago requests a trial, bringing our beloved adventurers in one by one to recount the events leading to Wago's demise. Testimony by testimony, our party recounted their adventures and gave their opinions on what the Triumvirate should do moving forward. Harry was grilled about the nuisance paladin who claimed Pepperwood reeked of demons. Turk was battling against two inquiring parties, the snake spirit Oxycoddle and the Triumvirate. Forge was brought in last and questioned about his intentions and origins. After the final testimony, the party was bid to wait in their holding tents as the leaders came to a decision. Since the dawn of high fantasy RPGs, there has been no greater stage for a story to be told or to begin than a tavern, the mythical epicenter for both adventure and drink alike. Armed with their dice, tankards, and creative expression, Five D&D nerds quest for glory and to keep traditional narrative cliché alive. This is Tavern Squad. All three of you wait in your holding tents for what feels like an eternity. As the sun slides down the sky and the beautiful azure of the heavens above give way to more of a twilight, you are then summoned by your respective escorts. It's time for judgment to be passed. You all come together in this congressional space, where you see these orange, magical floating lights shed something akin to firelight. There are two chairs and a large space in the middle. Turk and Harry, you are bid to sit in either chair, and Arcanus Gimbridge does the same hand motions to make Forge's capsule transparent and raise him into an upright position. Ago now sits in the center of this table. A dour look is written upon Jeff Benson's face, and Calvid seems stoic. Ago rises up. It is clear that this situation has been complex, but after our deliberations, we have come to as much of an agreement as we can. The sentencing will be held as such. Harry Pepperwood, 
You are found to be free from any guilt or intention of violating your contract. The charges held against you have been dropped. You are a free man. High Shaman Memphis, your banishment from Gold Tribe lands has been revoked. You will be able to join us once again and live among your tribe. However, you are still considered to be banished from Verilok, and you will not be permitted to pass onto their land. There is a silence as Ago stares at Forge. You, Mr. Guardsmith, one of mineral birth, have given us much to think about. Your punishment will be banishment from the lands of Baltarak and the Gold Tribe lands. Oh, thank God. We will arrange for you to be sent in whatever cardinal direction your home is. I will be sent north. Not that that's where my home is, but that's where I would like to be sent. Noted. For now, we understand the bond between you three has been strong. We will now depart, and you may say your final goodbyes to one another. And with that, Ago nods, Calvid picks up the Hypoxacroc skull, and then bashes it against the table, breaking it open. What? Oh god. That's exactly what I was hoping was gonna happen. This trial has ended. The terms of parley have been met. What are you gonna do about those rebels? That is our concern, Forge. Now we will leave you. And with that, the triumvirate departs the congressional tent, and you three are left on your own. Well, that was crazy. Well, I suppose it could have been worse. At least none of us were parted with our own necks here. Yeah, I almost died. They almost made me die. That's awful. That's the thinnest ice I've ever been on. Oh, I've been on very, very thin ice, and it actually cracked and I had to swim to the other end of the pond. Um, because it was thicker ice, and I had to melt it away. Well, I hope you find thick ice where you're headed to now. Oh, I'm sure I will. How about how long do you think it'll take you to regrow those limbs? Oh, that is a great question. Last time my arm was missing, it took me about three months. So, probably like a year to get fully back to speed. However, I have mastered the skill of... Walking on one leg. Not very far, though, and not very fast. But I've mastered it. See, look. Boing, boing, boing. <laughs> like a regular kangaroo you are. <laughs> we'll miss you. I'm gonna miss you guys. This was truly an unexpected twist at the end. But I think the world is safer now. <sighs> yeah. Well, we failed. Yes. But in another way, we... Uh, at least prevented a bigger disaster from happening. I only wish we could have brought Bryn along, too. I wonder if she survived that blast of light. I'm just glad nobody knows that there's any powerful artifacts underneath that canal site. That was a real gift. Oh, uh, actually, I don't know. It, uh, uh, Calvin basically concluded that there was 
something awful under there. And I, and they have a lot of questions that are very like, what are my opinions? And that's definitely not how I'm used to trials going. Um, but they asked my opinion of what should happen. And I said that all three of them need to work together to protect it. So, Turk, really, really make sure that Ago keeps that thing secret and safe. Oh, so you're saying they know that something's under there? Yes. No. Not again. (laughs) Not again? Because you guys feel me look at the camera? (laughs) And just like in episode 16, you look in the complete opposite direction. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Harry turns your head towards the camera. (laughs) I'll be in fourth wall blind. (laughs) Well, I'm not so sure Argo's the one to worry about, but that Jeff Benson's a slippery guy. Yeah, Harry, use your sleuthing to keep an eye on, an ear out for that. I'm going to make myself scarce around here. I'm not sure there's any good I can do up here. I'll probably head back down to Veramok, maybe ambition for a while. All right, so it's all on your shoulders, Turk. (laughs) Have fun with this, bud. My bad. Oh, I suppose I'll be heading down to those boys, trying to make sure they don't get into any trouble, and seeing if we can cure that Plackrot and get their heads above water, as you say. Yeah, there's da- we've discovered Hypanium. We just need to get it to everyone, you know? What if the city folk won't give it to us, huh? How could we obtain that? I can teach you how to create a Delvite smelter that doesn't pollute. Are you ready? First you gotta get a group together, and then you gotta mine in the ground, and then you gotta find the metal, and then you gotta get the metal out, and then you gotta melt it, and then you gotta melt it again, and then you gotta do a different smoldering thing, and you add some acid to it, and then you make hypanium from the hypoxium, and then you gotta get, and then it's all magic, and then you gotta get it all delivered to all the people. There you go. Have fun with that. I'm sorry, you said what about mining? And something about people together? (laughs) I don't know what else to tell you besides maybe the gold tribe should learn how to make hypanium or to find something that Jeff Benson values. I know that that uh, Saka Peak over there smelled of gold. I don't know if you guys find that valuable. <laughs> There's gold in them hills. <laughs> you just had to fucking throw that in as soon as you heard gold. Yep, the wily prospector jumps into the congressional tent and howls about gold. And then skeeters out real quick. <laughs> his, his cast iron pans clattering. You flesh bags are creative. I'm sure you can find a way to make sure that everyone gets enough uh, hypanium to cure this awful, awful disease. And also, keep an eye out for that dragon that we heard about. Shit's cray around here, man. Shit's cray. Well, I guess I won't be able to leave the Gold Tribe lands very much, but... Harry, perhaps we could meet up down by the river Balkaran and have a talk every now and then and see about finding a way to secure those resources for both our people. Ah, uh, Turk, I'd like that. It truly has been an experience to meet you. Although I've grown up in these lands, I can't say I've spent too much time with the tribes, but I can see now that was a mistake. We have a lot to learn from you. And us, you. Well, maybe not as much. I'll see you on the riverbanks in two fortnights. 
We'll meet back there. Sounds good. Good luck. May the blessings of Jazirian light your way and fuck up that dragon when you get the chance. Goodbye. As Forge stands still, I can't move. (laughs) (laughs) Arcanist! And he just like slowly closes the casket lid. I'm leaving now. Goodbye. <laughs> How do I work this thing? <laughs> Turk can't see, and Harry who's just standing there, like, what? <laughs> you make your goodbyes, and slowly, each one of your escorts then guides you out of the congressional space and brings you back to your respective tents. <laughs> Harry, you board one of the Skluck-burning steamboats and you depart from the temporary war encampment. A fresh pang of loneliness shoots through your body as you watch Forge's opaque capsule floated away and out of view, escorted by Arcanus Gimbridge and the High Rangers. You're a free man, yet something about this perturbs you. Like swimming in an ocean, you're free, but what direction do you go? You brood as this steamboat burbles northward towards ambition. The ride seems to take an eternity, and also no time at all, as you are swimming in your own thoughts. The stages are brought down onto the banks of ambition, and the Knights of Vermach and other passengers depart the steamboat. You enter the village of ambition once again. Its familiarity is somewhat comforting. As you walk through the main square, you still see some of the wilting flowers that Turk brought up when all of the workers were flooding off of the train wounded, and you still see stains of blood on the ground. You catch curious glances as you make your way through town, and to the familiarity of the Drunken Spade Tavern. You enter through its doors, and you immediately see that the floors have been renovated, no longer charred. Just the fresh timber, the only clues to what had happened nights ago, when the Vinemen assaulted this place. Your eyes fall immediately upon a familiar balding humanoid sitting by the northern hearth. It's Gunder, and surrounding him is a gaggle of curious workers and citizens and people of the night. They hang on his every word as you hear Gunder heroically describing the events that transpired in the past few nights. You can't bring yourself to listen to it. Instead, you make your way towards Meldra, behind the bar. Well, hey there, Harry. I've heard the stories. Welcome home, hero. This one's on the house. And she pours you a large tankard of golden ale and puts it in front of you. Harry nods in acknowledgement. Uh, thank you, Meldra. I suppose uh, Gunder's been telling everybody about what happened. Yeah, that's right. Ever since he came back sometime in the morning, he's told pretty much everyone. I've heard the same damn story about three times. Looks like you did some good work out there. Good thing you were here to help the people when you were. Yeah. Good thing, Harry says mockingly as he takes a deep draw on the mug of ale. Meldra cocks her head to the side slightly, noticing this small change in your tone. Yeah, I suppose stories of grandeur kind of 
fall short when you're the topic of them, and seeing as how you're coming in here alone. Still haven't figured out what happened to that boy Lamp, though. Heard he found some nice big suit of armor? Hypoxium, apparently? Yeah, it was something like that. I also heard he laid way go low, and, <laughs> well, I, I'd give Lamp a few drinks for free on that note. Uh, that he did. That he did. So, uh, what are your plans now, Harry? What you gonna do? Harry downs the mug of ale and then looks pointedly at his empty mug. Well, I can get you another. On the house, of course. Ah, thank you, Meldrum, but I'll pay my way. Harry digs out a coin and lays it on the bar. Well, that's mighty kind of you. Very heroic. And she gives you a wry smile and a wink before turning to fill your flagon. And you hear Gunder from behind you. And with a powerful drawing motion, he was able to heave a large amount of water, breaking the suspenders. That's the man right there who flooded the dig site, who destroyed the tunnel. Well done, Harry. You hear the crowd cheer for you, raising their mugs, and one of the ladies of the evening saunters over to you, sitting down beside you on a stool and putting her arm around you. So you're the famous spellslinger. I remember you a few nights ago. Rather impressive. You know, I think I could give you a thank you worthy of a hero. She winks at you. Harry seems to sink further into himself as he says, oh, Thank you, ma'am. His face goes slightly red, as per usual. Uh, I really just did what anybody would have done. I'm, I'm no hero. He uh, looks pointedly at Meldra and says, uh, Keep him coming. And then he makes his way to a more secluded booth uh, in a corner of the bar. At first, this lady of the evening looks a little shocked and put off by your answer, but uh, she seems to understand, and she nods. As you make your way over for a little bit of solitude, you really do not find any respite. And suddenly, your table is full of gold coins and drinks, people cheering you on. And beverage after beverage is put in front of you. Your shoulders and your back become numb after all of the back slapping. Backstopper! Backstopper! In a haze, Harry drinks cup after cup after cup of ale as people come by, shake his hand, and thank him for the work that he's done. He replies with, of course, and it was no trouble, as he slowly gets drunker and drunker as the evening progresses. You drink for the better part of a day, until sundown, where you hear a raucous crowd building in the town center. You look out the latticework window, you see the High Rangers of Veramok meeting with Sheriff Balog and some of the guards in ambition. They are joined by some floating tablecloth a futile attempt to hide Forge's capsule from people's eyes. You see people joining around and calling out, Lamp! Lamp, you're a hero! We love you, Lamp! We love Lamp! Lamp! You are slightly confused that the masses already know of Lamp being in a capsule, and you turn over to see Gunder, who looks at you uh, in a bit of a drunken guilt. Will I, uh... Maybe I embellished a little bit too much? Not any of the important stuff, though. And he looks at you with uh, panicked eyes for a moment. Harry slowly nods and turns back to the window. 
continuing to gaze at the scene unfolding. You watch the constables and the high rangers form a perimeter around this floating tablecloth as they guide it to the sturdy stone building that is the Jail of Ambition. Sheriff Balog is the caboose to the crowd, and as the rangers and the constables enter the jailhouse, he turns around at the door to address the people. Okay, look everybody, Lamp has done some very heroic things here, but unfortunately he is an enemy to the state, and people start booing wildly. I know, I get it. There's a lot of things here that we don't understand or have control over. You need to stay away from this building. Lamp, while he may be a hero, is a very dangerous man. Anyone found around the premises will be escorted off of the premises and given a stern talking to. You hear people protesting, and they are cut off as Sheriff Balog raises his hands. This is the will of Calvin Dudrin and Ago, the Gold Tribe Chieftain. These things need to be respected, okay? I don't think anyone argues here. That man in there can be a hero, but he doesn't belong here. Again, if we see anyone poking around out here, we're just gonna give you a scolding, okay? I don't wanna be a bad guy here. And he just kind of bows to everyone and enters the jailhouse building. Harry watches the sheriff make this pronouncement, and then he returns to his drinking brooding slightly. Harry continues to drink until well into the night. He decides to stay at the drunken spade. He really has nowhere else to go. Around midnight, he stumbles out of the door with a bottle of some kind of liquor clutched in his hand. Unsteadily and as stealthily as he can, tries to make his way over to the jailhouse. All right, Harry, so first I'm gonna need a constitution save from you. Uh, that's a 22. Alright, so despite being incredibly intoxicated, you are still very nimble on the pads of your feet, and I will not give you disadvantage to your stealth. Go ahead and make a stealth roll to approach the jailhouse. Uh, that's an eighth stealth. Alright, and I'm gonna roll that counter. The counter is eight. So, tie goes to the runner. Lucky you. Harry, you understand that trying to get inside the jailhouse is not going to happen. You have to go around the perimeter. You're playing it pretty fast and loose. When one of the patrolling guards turns his back, you immediately dart behind the jailhouse and into the further shadows of deep night. This is not Harry's first rodeo, drunkenly avoiding the fuzz. So he is pretty good at uh, navigating these kinds of situations. As he approaches the jailhouse, he's gonna come to each window that he finds and mutter in something like a stage whisper, Forge! Forge! And he'll wait a few moments to see if he can get a reply before moving on. You come to two or three of these tiny barred windows and getting no reply until you come to a fourth window, probably the last cell on the block. The moonlight pours through this tiny portal and you see the floating tablecloth. Forge, Harry says, drunkenly and slightly slurred. You in there, you old bucket of bolts, you? Don't call me old, don't call me bucket of bolts. I'm sitting here trying to recover. Harry, you sound like you're drunk. Ah. 
I'm not so near so drunk as you think I am. <laughs> Harry says as he slumps down next to the wall, but still in calling distance to the window. I've been banished over here and you're going off having a good old time drinking? What are you doing, Harry? Uh, that's a good question. I don't have a good answer for you either. <clears throat> uh, I just figured I couldn't let you go <clears throat> without uh, saying goodbye. You know, I may have a very long lifespan and events may happen that might bring me back one day. So don't lose hope, my friend. Oh, hope. That's a good idea, Forge. Gotta have hope. But in what? You can hear a glug and a clink as Harry drinks out of his mystery bottle and then sets it down. Do you have more of that? Granted, I need a lot to even have an impact on me. Never mind, you keep it. <laughs> Unsteadily, Harry stands up and you just hear a clang and then a crash as he tries to hurl the bottle through the window. Ah, oh, shit. Hope in me and hope in you. We've learned a lot and I feel like we're just gonna grow more as beings. Harry slumps against the wall again, now bottleless, as he stares at his hands, which are slightly fuzzy and fading in front of his eyes. Uh, what did it mean, Fort? I mean, sure, we saved everybody. That was a big deal, but now what are we supposed to do? Well, I would keep your ears open. It really sounds like there's a lot more nefarious stuff going on than just Wago and his evilness. You're right. Gunder's telling stories. Gotta keep that quiet. Gotta keep that quiet. I don't know if they're stopping him. <laughs> he seems like he kind of just does what he wants. Uh, that's something you gotta learn about Fleshbags, Forge. <clears throat> we all do what we want. Apparently, so do I. <laughs> uh, Harry, does 17 beat your passive perception? That it does. Harry, you feel strong hands upon your shoulders. And... They wheel you around, and the world sort of spins as Sheriff Balog comes into your view. Oh no! Don't, don't spin me! <laughs> Stars and stones, Pepperwood. You're really not composing yourself as a hero should. Come on, I know you want to say bye, but you're not supposed to be here. Let him go! He's, he's my partner! He deserves to have a conversation! with me before I leave forever. Look, Lamp, uh, I can't do that, okay? I'll let you say goodbye right now, but unfortunately, Pepperwood, I gotta take you off the premises. Just doing his job, Forge. Just doing his job. At this point, Harry is clinging to both the sheriff and the bars. His night seems to have caught up with him. Just kidding. <laughs> Well, Forge, I suppose this is it. Goodbye, Harry. Maybe we'll meet again in another world. As we say in Drakbokmos, it's not the fish that eats you. 
It's the fish that got away. Yeah. And then he lets go of the bars and allows the sheriff to lead him away. Sheriff Balog takes on your weight as he starts to escort you back to the drunken spade. Look, Pepperwood, I was part of the Lizard Wars about a decade and a half ago. Fought alongside some gold tribe members, some other good knights of Aramok. There isn't any way to go through what you went through and not pay a heavy price. A lot of people think you're a hero, Pepperwood, and I know it might take you some time to realize that for yourself, but things can change. You might feel lost, but there's always things to do. I mean, heck, you're a private eye, eh? Uh, you could probably just get another job. Sometimes a distraction is what helps better than copious amounts of booze. Uh, yeah, another job, another job. Did I even do my last job? I don't remember. Well, you did a you did a fine job here, Pepperwood. Come on, let's get you some rest. And Sheriff Balog escorts you back into the drunken spade, and there is another chorus of drunken cheers as you enter. And people caught spell slinger, spell slinger. Oh, more drinks for him. Another round on me. Sheriff Balog puts up his hand. No, no, I think this hero needs a little bit of rest. Harry does not protest. And with Sheriff Balog's help, he guides you up the stairs and into your quarters, where he lays you on your side into your bed. The last thing you remember is the torchlight spilling into your quarters and drifting into this bedroom before being enveloped by darkness. As long as I don't get the spins. Harry, you drift back into consciousness as you see two people of the evening, uh, a man and a woman, enter into your quarters, and you hear the splashing of water. You don't want to open your eyes, it's too damn bright. And every slosh of water, every footstep, sends just another pang of pain through your skull. The two people of the evening come over to you and grab you by each arm. You recognize the woman from last night at the bar. Now come on, Mr. Pepperwood. Come here, sit in this hot bath for a little while, and we'll, we'll bring you some water and some bacon. The sturdy male is able to prop you up as the woman is able to undress you, uh, which you are undressed rather un ungracefully uh, before gently lowered into a nice warm bath. A large flagon of fresh cool water is placed beside the tub. Clean yourself up and get hydrated. And the two people of the evening depart the room. Harry uh, murmurs his thanks as they leave and just kind of steeps himself in the hot bath, letting it wash over him and soothe his aches and scrapes as he also takes long draughts of cool water. Harry, you sit in this tub until the water has become tepid and you have drank your whole flagon of water. You think now it's probably time to get up by the way your bladder is nagging at you. You get out of the tub and you dress yourself in some clean clothes provided to you by Meldra. She takes your dirty laundry and says she'll have it back to you by the end of the day. Spick, span, and mended. Somewhat unsteadily, Harry makes his way down to the bar. 
You make your way down to the bar, and again you are greeted by low murmurs of praise. Other very hungover patrons slumped over tables, and they raise their empty mugs to you. One man looks up. By this man, rats are baking on me. And then he face plants into the table. You sit down, slumping into the booth, and looking across the tap room, you see something that catches your eye. Delia is sitting at a table with Jeff Benson, and they're talking in hushed tones. Suddenly, your plate of bacon arrives, placed in front of you. You think they have Bloody Marys in this world? Fuck yeah. As the serving girl is leaving, Harry makes a motion. Uh, little hair of the dog, maybe a Bloody Mary. She looks down at you and says, Absolutely. No problem, big hero. This further curdles Harry's stomach, but he does start to eat. Would you like to make a perception check for me, Harry? That's a 23 to perception. You are munching on your bacon and sipping on your Bloody Mary, and you are eavesdropping into Jeff Benson, owner of Benson Delvite, and Delia's conversation. Well, I think you should really come and meet my son. I think he would love to meet you, and he doesn't have the plague anymore. I think you two could really hit it off nicely. Well, uh, Mr. Benson, I'm very thankful for this offer, but you see, I cannot go anywhere until my dear bodyman, Brutus, has been repaired. But I do ensure you that I will come and visit Veramok upon the completion of his repairs. But until then, I will stay in ambition. Yes, that makes fine sense, fine sense. Uh, well, here, uh, and Jeff scribbles something down on a piece of paper and hands it to Delia. This is where you'll be able to find us. Uh, feel free to call upon us at any hour. We are always happy to house and cater to a member of the Turcotl family. Yes, of course, Benson. And I am very grateful for your hospitality. Well, I must make my way now. Uh, have a good one, Delia. And hopefully I'll see you soon. Yes, I will see you soon. Goodbye, Jeff. And Jeff Benson gets up from the table before looking at you, Harry, and sneering slightly, he then departs the drunken spade. Harry's not quite sure why he got this uh, reaction from Jeff Benson. So he looks a little uh, bemused. But he grabs his plate and his drink and slides into the booth across from Delia. So, you've attracted the eyes of the famous Jeff Benson. Benson Delphite. Well, Harry... Number one, it's good to see you, and it's good to see you in a mostly whole state. You look like you've had a good night. But I think that Mr. Benson is far more interested in my family's money than me, per se. He's talked to me a couple times now of meeting his son. What do you think that could be about? Well, judging by his interest in money and his uh, son's renown for being a... Uh... Famous fop. I should say he's probably trying to marry him off to you, but what do I know? You people with all your money, you do things differently than us lowlanders, don't you? Delia smiles a very bright smile at you. Well, for a lowlander, you are quite deductive. A fair private eye you are, Pepperwood. So what do you think? Would you like the day drink with me? Brutus is going to be getting repaired for probably a few days. I thought you'd never ask, Harry says as he raises his drink to her. 
You continue to drink throughout the day. Gunder wakes up from his hungover stupor, and he comes to drink with you. Barging through the doors around noon, you see a familiar face, and it brings some warmth to your heart. It's Hal. Hal. Hey, Harry, good to see you. Oh, you some bitch, you did it. Well done. Can I drink with you? Oh, of course, Hal. The more, the merrier. And so you have a nice sort of reunion for the rest of the day, drinking your cares away. Late in the afternoon, you hear another raucous crowd. Looking out the window briefly, you see the floating capsule of Forge, covered in a cloth, being put on to a large skluck-burning steamboat and carted away. As Forge's capsule is leaving, uh, to himself, Harry raises his glass and makes a toast to his comrade as he departs. You take a deep draught after toasting. The ale is pleasurable upon your tongue, and yet there is another sting of pain in your heart, watching a good friend go. A voice pings in your mind. Well, sir, I, I thought you could use a, a little while to, to think and stuff, but, uh, you know, just want to let you know I am still here, and, uh, you know, any time you want to get back on the trail and do some cases, I'm all for it. Oh, <clears throat> you're still here, Bob. Ah, I thought you'd flown off again. That's what you're real good at, though, huh? Bob grumbles in your mind. Well, yes, sir, but I'm trying to keep a wide berth on this place. You see, there's a, there's that paladin. He, uh, he might have sniffed me out a few, a few nights ago. So I'm just trying to stay away. Just wanted to come and pop into your mind. Uh, I'm keeping an eye out, and when you decide to leave Ambition, I will join you. Sure thing, Bob. Sure thing. And you return to your binge drinking. The sun goes sliding down the sky, and once again it is evening, when the doors open up, and you hear Meldra call out, Hey, no miners in here! Only canal workers! <laughs> <laughs> and then you look over to see a familiar little boy in a news cap with only one hand. Hello, hello, everybody! I'm looking for a Harold Salt Stick! I am, I am! I got a letter for him! Nonplussed, Harry just continues drinking. Uh, and you see the little boy walking around, tugging on people's coats. Are you Harold Saltstick? Are you, are you? Oh no! Alright, I'll move on, I will! Until finally he comes to you and he tugs on your sleeve. Oh hello there, Mr. Pepperwood! Um, do you happen to know a Harold Saltstick? Harold Saltstick? No. Oh! Okay, sir. Well, uh, suppose I'll go try to find this Harold Saltstick. Uh, have a good day. Uh, one-handed newsboy. Um, who's the letter from? Uh, it says it's from a, uh, Pelia Dougal. Where the name Harold Saltstick did not break through Harry's drunken haze. The name Pelia Dougal certainly does. He realizes that Harold Saltstick is one of his cover names that he likely gave Pelia when she first hired him in case she needed to communicate with him covertly. Oh, yes, Harold Saltstick. Ah, uh, now, I didn't re remember it the first seven times you said it, but now that I say it myself, um, that's a good friend of mine and I could deliver that letter for you son. So, um, actually just give it to me and I'll take it off your hands. Okay, sir. Nothing to read into there, there isn't. <laughs> Here you are. 
And he hands you a letter. Have a good day, sir. And if you see the man who was... You're a terrible delivery man, son, but <laughs> you're easy to get things out of. Well, I think my attitude is great A, it is. Have a good one, mister. Harry tips the lad for having only one hand and for giving him the letter. And shoes him out. You open the envelope to see Pelia's writing, and in brief, she thanks you very much for your service in locating her husband, and that she is going to retrieve him from Acre Island and take him to the comfort of home. She says that you can come to her estate to retrieve your payment. Harry folds up the letter and puts it in his pocket, thinking, a job well done. And he gets another drink for himself in congratulations of something that actually went right. And after your first drink, you think, why not a second? Why not a third? Why not a fourth? Why even count? You continue to drink and drink through the evening, and it just becomes a haze of mug after mug of different ale types, all sweet and delicious. Your friends around you make the pain subside, and you drift into a night of relative mirth, only to be awoken again by a throbbing head and a knock at the door. Um, Mr. Pepperwood, I have your clothing. Sorry it took a little bit longer than I expected, uh, but here it is, all mended and and clean as a, a hypoxicroc scat. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yeah, yeah, use that. Yeah. Blearily, Harry says, Oh, uh, thank you. Thank you very much. As he takes the clothing and deposits it in the room. He dunks his head in the tub of bath water and is able to regain a modicum of composure and, again, makes his way downstairs to the bar. You make your way down to the bar, looking forward to another plate of bacon and another Bloody Mary. Instead, you see Arcanist Gimbridge sitting at a booth, his blue eyes staring at you with intensity. He motions for you to sit in the same booth. Harry places his breakfast order at the bar and then and then shuffles over to join the arcanist. He sinks down across from him, exhausted by his nights of debauchery. Well, Mr. Pepperwood, it seems like you've been having a real hero's feast these past few days. Yeah, Harry Pepperwood, hero of Ambition. Harry, I understand the toll that this has taken on you emotionally. I have to end your debaucherous tirade. And I would say that I'm sorry for it, but quite truly I am not. See, I got some disturbing news. From one Hagos McTaliser. You may remember him as the head of the healing house here in Ambition. He told me that he found Pelia in the shadier side of town, beaten within an inch of her life. She would have died if were Hagos not there. Apparently she is in the hospital, and she is not entirely responsive. She does continue to say a few things, mainly fetch Pepperwood. Well, Pepperwood, I mean, that could just be the... Famed wood of the pepper tree. How do you know she's talking about me? And the arcanist gives you a very exasperated look. Come on, Harry, you are a better detective than that. You should go and see her. 
Apparently, there's something that she might want to tell you, if she can really tell you anything at all. I found her husband. I mean, isn't he taking care of her? No. Apparently, after she picked him up and was heading home, that is when she was set upon by who knows. Margus Dougal is again missing. Seems all I do is run around after Margus Dougal and lose people right and left. You'd think that man could keep himself safe for one week out of this God's damned year. Well, Mr. Pepperwood, I understand the frustration in trying to find a man who has been under your nose the entire time, and once you've found him, he disappears again. And he reaches across the table and he puts his hand on your forearm. Harry, sitting here in this bar, drinking day after day, it will not ease your suffering. My thoughts are there is something bigger at work here, and I must truly insist you get back on this trail. Harry looks thoughtful for a moment. Well, Hawkinist, I, I owe you for your discretion and for your help since I've been here, so I will return to ambition, but the amount of help that I can actually be is dubious at best. I would not be so sure of that, Mr. Pepperwood. You have proven yourself to be more than capable, and a very interesting fellow as well. There's a boat that is going to be leaving here in about an hour. I would suggest that you gather your belongings and head back to Veramok. You'll find Pelia at the Veramok Hospital. Again, Arcanist, I owe you, so I'll do as you wish, and Lord knows I should probably get back and check on the house in Veramok. It's been, well, about a week, and can't say I live in the part of town where you can really just leave your house for extended periods of time. So somebody usually ends up breaking in. Well, let's hope that no one has broken into your quarters now. I'm afraid I must depart. There, are, There is some work that I need to do. Please let me know uh, if you find Margus or what Pelia tells you. I myself am very interested. It would seem to me that some larger game is afoot if Margus Dougal were to be abducted within the relative safety of Veramok. Do tread with caution, Pepperwood, for more reasons than one. And he gently pats you on the shoulder and departs. A week after the trial, Turk is laboring with the rest of the ex-rebels down at the new canal dig site, making great progress. Using his ability to warp the earth, Turk makes the jobs of everyone around him much easier. <laughs> Good job, boys. We're doing well together. Turk, you find happiness in working with your fellow tribes members, these once wayward lads and lasses that have now come together and have been able to work on this project with the knowledge that it's actually going to benefit their tribe. And that's something that's been very important to lifting the morale of these once rebel people. You arrive back at your home village Wiping the grime from your hands and forearms and wiping the sweat from your brow. It's a chilly autumn, for sure, and 
The sun is setting soon. You are certain of it. But you hear excited footfalls approach you, and you notice by her pattern of walking, it's Telga. Sweet little Telga, who you haven't seen in months. Turk, Turk, Turk! And she leaps up to give you a hug, hoping that you will catch her. Oh, Telga! And by the sound of her voice, I'm able to track where she is, and I scoop her up under the armpits and lift her up into the air and do a little turnaround, spinning her in the air. She giggles. I'm so happy you're back, Turk. I'm so happy you're back. I didn't know you could see me coming. How do you do that? Oh, but I could smell you a mile away. <laughs> I s sniff up and down near her cheeks and tickle her a little bit. And she giggles again. I, I took a bath earlier today. I don't know why. You could use a bath, smelly man. Because <laughs> you didn't scrub behind your ears. And I tug on her little earlobe. And I never bathe. That's the way of a real druid. I raise up my arm and smell under the armpit and visibly grimace. <laughs> Well, maybe every now and then. I hope one day I can be a great druid like you. Look, look what I can do! I, I feel her hand, and I feel up it to feel the stalk of the rose. <gasps> oh, that's a frost rose! You have got real talent in ya! Hey, you ever think about studying formally, you know? Yeah, I, I have considered it. Um, my mom seems like she's on board, but it's been hard after Dad's been gone. You know, I have a good idea. Yeah, what's that? Well, whenever my dad was done doing his community service, he he always took us to the, the Applebee's Grove. Oh, you mean the Great Orchard, full of the sweetest honey and the tastiest apples? Yeah, but you know, just for brevity, we call it Applebee's Grove. Oh, that sounds fantastic. I would love to go to Applebee's with ya. Um, Applebee's Grove. Applebee's Grove with ya. That's right, Tilga. I ruffle her hair. We've already had problems with city folk. We don't need any copyright infringements. <laughs> <laughs> Applebee's Grove TM sounds great. <laughs> and in your mind, Oxycoddle quips, She is a very precise and bright one. Telga says, Okay, that sounds great, but I'm also going to go grab my mom. So I'll go grab her, and I'll meet you at this side of the village, and we'll all go to Applebee's Grove. Oh, that sounds great. And I might bring a couple of these boys. You know, it might, it's been a while since they've had a real home-cooked meal. I'll only bring the ones who are free of plaque rot, though, until we get that cure brought in. Thanks, Turk. Sounds good. And Telga kind of pads off and goes to retrieve her mother as you look to those hard-working wayward boys and you invite them to Applebee's Grove, which they all agree to. So in the late afternoon, Turk, you find yourself walking with this group of your kin all going down to Applebee's Grove, and you hear sounds that might feel like it was ever hard to hear again. But the sounds of laughter and conversation, happiness, and above all, hope. It's touching to you to be with these people now, as you make your way to the Great Orchard. Oh, thank you all so much for coming. You know, this means the world to me after being gone for so long. Eating mostly trail rations, working down in those pits with a lot of ya. I hope tonight we can all feast like true lords and ladies, and well, tabs on me. And they all cheer aloud. Well, Turk, it looks like there is some form of peace after all. Even if you completely robbed them of any justice.
Oh, justice and vengeance are two sides of the same coin, and, well, sometimes it's just progress that we should be looking to instead. But is it really progress, Turk? They know about what lies beneath the canal water. They know what dwells in those forbidden tunnels below. Well, it'll become rumor in no time, I'm sure. And no one ever saw it. It's not confirmed even there in their minds. Ah, don't be so certain, Turk. Things of this magnitude hardly stay buried for very long. But tonight, all that I'll be burying is my fork and a rich pot of apple pie. Yes, enjoy your pie, Turk. And Oxycoddle seems to depart from your mind as you continue happily with your merry band of wayward boys and Telga and her mom down to the Applebee's Grove, where you see Miss Pear already working hard at mixing up some stew. What does uh, Telga's mom look like? Hot. <laughs> right keep, away. I'm keeping that. That's all you're, that's all you're getting. Hi. <laughs> <laughs> I'm I'm not gonna do it. I'm not gonna start hitting on this yeah. woman. Also, you wouldn't really know how she looks. I mean, I guess yeah. you would have known how she looks from the past. So hot. Yeah. Um. <laughs> <laughs> oh, thanks for bringing your daughter out here. No, I'm glad she's safe and sound. And well, we can keep the ritual of heading here after a tough day's work, like you and your family used to. You can tell that she nods at you appreciatively. Well, you know, it was uh, her who decided to bring me out here, so that's that's nice, and I'm really happy to be out here. That was a fine suggestion, Telga. Thanks, Mom. You know, I reckon this is the best summer night I've had in a while. And Turk puts his hand on Telga's mom's shoulder and looks at her. And she looks at you. I don't know, dear, uh, hi, Shaman Memphis. It's, you know, autumn now. Feels like a summer night to me. Okay. Oh, look, there's Miss Pear. <laughs> I'm physically rubbing my temples yeah. right now. <laughs> you hear the clattering of Miss Pear's hypoxium ladle in her hypoxium pot, stirring up a delicious batch of her partridge and pear stew. And you hear her call out, Oh, hey there, boys. Oh, you want yourself a bit of stew, eh? Come on, get yourself a ladle and a bowl, huh? Um, and everyone forms a line and starts getting their food from Miss Pear. Turk will file in line with the rest of them. You are delivered this hot, steaming bowl of delicious partridge and pear stew. It's nostalgic scent warming you, but there's also a bittersweet tinge to it. It was one of the last meals you ate before that fateful night at the dig site. Ah, yes. In this land of corruption, even your sweet, savory soups have gone sour. Oh, I suppose everything sours in time, even our own memories. You are wise. You are pulled from your reverie as Telga sits down heavily into the grass beside you. She winces as she accidentally spilled some hot broth on her arm. Oh, watch out there! Turk mops it up for her with a little raccoon skin napkin. Thanks, Turk. Yeah, it it was a little hot. I was a bit clumsy. Oh, well. And you can hear the sound of her scooping up spoonfuls of stew and eating it. 
And soon this gentle murmur of a few voices becomes a roar of jovial conversation and laughter as everyone has a beautiful belly full of delicious stew and enjoying each other's company and basking in the safety and warmth of the Gold Tribe lands. Oh, and Turk just eats twice his fill until his body is just ballooned up with a big old belly full of partridge soup. So, Turk, you lean up against one of these apple trees, your belly sort of protruding with its delicious payload, and you rub your tummy, as you are wont to do with a full stomach, in those familiar counterclockwise motions, and almost as if it is your mantra, you begin to slip into a deep meditation, and then into a slumber. But then, to somewhere else, completely different from where you have been before. You find yourself floating through puffy, ephemeral clouds, backlit by purple and green and blue undulating auroras. You realize now that the place in which you are sitting feels like some sort of twilight version of your life, of this land, and you find yourself back upon the hill upon which Wago met his demise. You look up at the everlasting twilight sky and see the multicolored auroras winding, and you watch with amazement. This must be the Fairua. Though you have never delved into it yourself, you have heard of it spoken this way. It is warm, it is calm and peaceful. Turk walks around in this plane, belly still poking out from his unbuttoned overalls, and starts looking at the ground, the signs of a scuffle, beautiful signs in the sky of the aurora. I have never been here before. And as you look around, you realize that this was the canal dig site on the night Wago met his demise. The half-burnt tent village still remains there. The excavation site still dry, and the gaping maw of Golthias' temple remains open, almost beckoning. What is this place? Konara? Oxycodal? They are not here right now, High Shaman. Who is that? You turn around, and you see this humanoid figure, their skin completely obsidian black, piercing green eyes embedded in an otherwise featureless face. They have a crown of green leaves, and they wear a tunic, of leaves as well, in sort of a scale pattern. I am Fenua. Turk's eyes bulge out of those sockets, which would normally be sealed over in a non-dream state. Oh, uh, is this true? I, I size her up. I size up the spirit. Does this look like a Fenua? Spirit of the forest? You would need to do a religion or a insight check. That's a six for insight. Okay. 
Fenua has never been described in a sort of personification. Fenua has always been very abstract. It has been the land. You cannot tell if this being is truly Fenua. It does seem like they legitimately believe that they are Fenua. Oh, Fenua, what form is this? You walk as a, a person, as a human? I never would have thought. Do not be fooled by this countenance, Parishon. I am still the coursing stream, the tranquil forest, all of this surrounding you. Fenua outstretches her obsidian arms to show the land all around you. If you are everything, why have you brought me here? What is this vision? I have brought you here, Turk Memphis, because only you are worthy to continue in Wago's quest. Well, but Wago's quest, he, he was driven mad. I, I saw no reason in his actions. Violence. He was not driven mad. He was driven by destiny. It was his destiny to take the totem of rebirth and fix the lands to the west to stop this careless destruction of me, of my heart and soul. It's up to you now. The, the lands to the west, there's still full of people there, still full of, of folks working. I, I, I don't, I didn't plan on leaving the tribe again. That was my home. Those, the people, they're my home. Hi, shaman. You do not realize what is at stake here. The lands to the west no longer harbor humanoid souls. This is my greatest source of pain. Let me show you. Fenua raises her arms up again, and this image, this depiction of the beautiful land all around melts into a horrifying sight. Plaque rot covering trees dangling across the spaces between like hideous, viscous spiderweb. The land so tainted and spoiled, the water rotten. And even Fenua appears to be worn down, appears weary and weak. Don't you see, Haishaman? Wago's quest was to fix the lands to the west, was to destroy the source of Blackrod. It can only be done if you take the totem of rebirth to the Great Pool. Konara buried it for a reason, and well, we just work to do the same. I reckon that, that artifact will never see the light of day again. Oh, what is this place? This is horrible here. And seeing your discomfort, Fenua releases the image of the plaque rot caked woodland, the rather vibrant and ephemeral forest of the Fairua comes back into view. Konara buried the totem so that it could be used later. Konara understood that there was a greater destiny here. It needed to be kept safe from the forces of evil so that when the forces of evil and corruption rose again, it could be used for good. You need to take the totem of rebirth to the great pool. Go ahead and give me another insight check. That is 21 to my insight. As Fenua pleads for your help, 
and drops the illusion of the placrock-covered woodland, you think you see for a moment large, grotesque, curling, ram-like horns that sprout from her head, and a wicked forked tongue that darts between her lips. You blink again, and you no longer see these horns. So you are the spirit that was in contact with Wago. Turk gets a grip on himself and buttons up his overalls over his shoulders again, covering up his belly. You were the spirit that was in contact with him the whole time, weren't you? Fainua, unaware of your insights, says, Why, yes, I am. I've only wanted what is best for the tribes. What is best for those of mineral birth? I know Wago seemed misguided, violent and cruel even, but these things were necessary for the greater good, for the spirit of the forest. Even now I feel my power waning. Please, help me, Sean. It is not too late. Oh, I suppose you do need assistance with those goals of yours, don't ya? You can't accomplish them by yourself, can you? You need mortal hands to do it. Yes. You understand? Then that's where those schemes will be buried. And Turk slams his foot down on the ground and starts waving his arms around in cleansing movements. This visage is nothing but of chaos and corruption. Your goals are against all of that of life and the forest. Start trying to separate my own energy from this place and from her influence. And she feels you trying to do this, and now you see those green irises transform into the color of red. The horns once again sprout from her head, curling back and around like ram's horns. The green of her leafed tunic becomes green scales. Wide draconic wings flare up, and the illusion is crumbled. A large, hulking, Hybrid black and green dragon looms before you. You will help me with my quest, shaman. You will not deter me. Be gone. Your influence is not welcome here. My belly is full of soup and truth, and it will not be corrupted. Your belly is full of guts, which I will spill. This dragon raises its claws and strikes down on you. And in just that moment, you feel an apple bonk you on the head. And you are arisen to consciousness, shaking your head. And you look around at your friends, and you see them laughing. Telga pipes up, Oh, you fell asleep just a little too hard, huh, Turk? Well, good thing the apple tree could wake you up. I feel more awake now than I have in years, Telga. This was a fine night, but I think I need a true rest after this. Turk gets up, chilled, his full belly now feeling like a burden to the movements which his future now holds for him. What's wrong, Turk? I think we're not quite at the end of this. And well, nothing's wrong tonight, Telga. This has been a great meal. It was a great idea of yours to bring us all here, but I'm afraid that my work is never quite done, and I think I know the next objective. And Turk winks at the camera again. 
And this time, you get it right. Hey folks, hope you enjoyed the episode. Judgment was passed and no one was executed. Harry battled with guilt and alcoholism, and Turk was faced with the entity that was behind Wago's actions. Forge is on his way out the door, but his tale will be told next episode, so hold fast. For a brief housekeeping note, we are drawing nearer to the end of our first season, which is exciting. By my estimation, we will have only one more episode, but I haven't finished editing yet, so there might be like a little bonus episode or something for y'all. Additionally, we will not be doing any more sticker giveaways until the release of the next season. A season which we will reveal more information about as this one closes out. So keep your ear to the ground or your eyes on our social media to get more details about our next campaign setting. Thank you, dear listeners, for joining us on our two-year journey into the realm of podcasting. We appreciate you taking the time to listen to each installment of the story we have been weaving and seeing our progression as content creators. If you enjoy our program, follow us, give us a review, share with a friend, or mention us on social media using hashtag TavernSquad or at TavernSquad. If you're interested in getting in contact with us, you can message us on Facebook, Instagram, or our Tavern Squad Gmail, and we would really love to hear from you. This episode featured music and sound effect selections from the RPG music maker, Travis Savoye. You can find Travis's work on his YouTube channel, RPG Music Maker. We have a link to his channel in the episode notes, so check him out and bring his sounds to your table. Our intro music is the track Briefcase Number 1, performed by Tartanic, and the intro speech is performed and written by Lou Fox. If you crave more Highland Pipes, check out Tartanic on Apple Music, YouTube, Spotify, SoundCloud, or wherever you find your music. With that, the tavern is closing, the last call has been made, you don't have to go home, but you can make an appointment to go get vaccinated. Get vaccinated. Toodaloo.